Whether you followed the conversations and developments in the open source community for six months or six years, you know that gender is a frequently disputed topic within these communities. Questions about representation, inclusion, participation, and a long list of concerns have been researched, debated, and addressed, or not addressed, in different ways for well over a decade. The idea of open discussion is not always a welcome one. While some feel there is an awakening going on, others feel they're under attack. Thankfully, regardless of how anyone feels, some passionate groups of people are taking action in new and constructive ways. Today on the podcast, we begin with Laura Laugwitz of Rails Girls Berlin to discuss a project for educating and encouraging women in the programming world. And in the second half of the program, we'll sit down with Kathleen Danielson, a veteran of the OpenStreetMap community now relocated to Berlin. The big question, where are we when it comes to gender and the open source community? What is being done? What should be done? And why isn't everything okay in 2014? For Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark von Sikarendero, and this is Source Code Berlin. We My first guest today is Laura Laukwitz, an organizer with Rails Girls Berlin, workshops that seek to get women the tools that they need to build their ideas, a practice that has spread across culture lines to every continent on this planet. To learn more about how it all works and what she has seen through her work, we go now to Laura Laukwitz in Berlin. We are Rails Girls and, and Rails Girls Berlin more specifically is where we're going. But let's do the global picture for a second. Um, I know you're not a, a spokesperson for the global movement, but I'm sure you've been following. Uh, you know, if I look at the schedule, there's Rails Girls meetings in, in, in Belgium and Taiwan, Japan, Serbia, South Africa. The list is so long. Um, it's a worldwide phenomenon at this point. But where and, and how did this begin? Well, I think Rails Girls started in Finland, uh, 2011, if I'm correct. Mm. Um, and it started off as a one-time workshop where uh, women were, you know, meeting up and just to learn a bit of Rails to get an introduction into programming. And then uh, it just kind of spread all over the world. And there are certain chapters that are pretty active, like the Berlin chapter. We are lucky to have many developers in Berlin who are willing to help us. So that's why we can offer workshops again and again and again. And then there are other chapters that are active only once or twice uh, because they don't have the resources or not the developers who can come and help out all the time. Mm. Um, you know, when, when we talk about, uh, you know, having had these meetings specifically for women, again, I'm sure there are people out there that don't see because of the life that they lead, they're busy, they, they, and some people just aren't good at stepping out of their own shoes. Um, tell me, you know, explain a little bit why it would be useful and good to have meetings that, were, that are just for women. Uh, the idea is that it's a real beginner's workshop, so that you're not supposed to be afraid of asking questions. Uh, you can ask whatever kind of questions you think are stupid. And the thing is that very often... Um, people connect masculinity or male people with technology. So they're expected to know things. 
And when you're in a space where you have men and women and the women feel they're asking stupid questions, they will also feel that the men already know the answers and might not, answer, might not even ask the questions. So it's nice to have a space where women can ask questions and not feel stupid about it. That's basically the idea, I would say. Yeah, and I think many cities, um, I mean, I'm sitting here in, in Amsterdam uh, talking to you there in, in Berlin. Um, many cities have had initiatives, I guess in the last 10 years, called things like women in tech, uh, creating these spaces, as you just outlined, where people feel comfortable. Because, um, I, I, I mean, in the past, people have not felt comfortable, women specifically, uh, exactly. in, in these contexts. Um, I mean, let's talk about the divide a little bit, right? We, we, I think at this point, even the, the non-tech person knows that there is this divide. There are more men than women, uh, working in the tech field. We can get more specific software development, for example. Um, if you could, like, what practices perpetuate this divide? Oh, there is uh, different areas, I think. Well, one's called a pipeline problem, uh, right? The meaning that there are not enough women who are interested in the field from the beginning. Like, girls aren't interested in it, then they don't do it in school, then they don't do it in university, and then you don't have enough people applying for jobs. That's the one thing. But uh, I think the other uh, thing is also a cultural thing, where within male-dominated spaces, which technology is one of the male-dominated spaces, um, there are certain jokes. There's just a certain uh, atmosphere that uh, a lot of times doesn't make it comfortable for people who don't fit the heterosexual white male um, person and jokes and whatever happens there. So, yeah, it's an alienating culture for anyone who's not the the standard in that area. Mm. I tell you a quick story. Um, and again, it's not to, to really accuse anybody of anything, but I went to a, an event. I'm going to be real vague to protect people. Um, but it was an event, uh, for hackers. And here's a community again, uh, perhaps that needs some, some changes. Uh, but, um, I was going to give a presentation, but first there were other people. Um, the room was 99% male. And yeah. I, uh, I happened to bring uh, a female with me uh, who wasn't from the community. And uh, the talk right before mine was something like it was supposed to be about some kind of uh, finding things on the Internet. But they used this catchphrase, how to get girls with a Z or something like that. And oh. it, yeah. And the presentation was a bunch of inside jokes about programming. They weren't all about women or anything related to sex, but they came up occasionally. And uh as soon as I came in with my female uh, companion there, they, you could see that the speaker was very uncomfortable suddenly, oh. like we had changed things. And yeah. he came over to her, and before he started speaking, really, he was just getting warmed up, and he said, I'd like to apologize for everything that's about to happen here. Uh, I wasn't thinking exactly what I was doing, you know, and, and, and he, he went on to give the talk, but it was the most odd experience. He was really, uh, you could see him struggling with himself, actually. Um, That's interesting. It's interesting that he actually noticed that beforehand, that he noticed, you know, all of a the sudden there's somebody he didn't expect in there and his entire talk should have been different. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. He was expecting a yeah. specific kind of room. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is what you're talking about, right? The, the traditions that carry on. 
Yes, definitely. Like sexist jokes, but also like microaggressions that uh, most people don't even notice, but, you know, that still kind of sink in. Like, even if you're already a woman who knows how to program, you will most of the time not be expected to know things uh, because that's just the way we're expecting men to know it and women not to know it if it comes to technology and to development. And that's just something that's really in our culture and in our heads without most of the people realizing that it's there. Yeah. Now, from place to place in this world, we do have differences in, in where we're at in terms of this divide. Um, I want to definitely talk about the Berlin context. It would seem to me as a frequent visitor, a sort of now anthropologist of daily life in Berlin, it's a bit different, right, from the rest of Germany, even from Europe in some ways, sometimes. Um, when it comes to the treatment of people based on gender, is that difference also uh, detectable and 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 in what way? Oh, I, I really only know the Berlin perspective. Like, <laughs> I haven't been to tech meetups anywhere outside of uh, the Ruby community or the Berlin community, mainly because I'm expecting it to be a lot worse, and that's why I'm not going. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm not sure if I can answer that question. Well, I, I think that what I'm what I'm curious about is you do have a significant female population in programming i mean don't you yes yes we do <laughs> that's true um yeah and i think berlin's also a place where there's a lot of political activism and i like that a lot of times they inter interlap with each other in berlin and i think that might not be true for other cities in germany and i'm not sure about europe in general so uh you know you have people who are interested in feminism and politics and technology and they make sure that all their interests can work together in one place like there's co-op for example i think you all already mm -hmm. um interviewed people from co-op right i did yes so, yeah mm -hmm. um uh, so let's talk about some of the finer details uh well first of all um do you actually give uh workshops or are you more coordinating um, I am an organizer mainly, and then uh, I'm also studying computer science and currently working on a Rails project. And I hope that after that, I will feel confident enough in my knowledge to also uh, do some coaching. Yeah, mm. and, so and I'm planning to to do the coaching as well. In, uh, good. Yeah, you had talked <laughs> about how you know one of the goals is to make people feel comfortable. You talked about how you know being able to ask. Um, so-called in, in, in sort of mainstream <laughs> language, uh, uh, dumb questions, uh, uh -huh. or, or at least creating an atmosphere where perhaps no questions are dumb questions. It's always the nicest way to approach things. Exactly, um, yeah. Are there any other ways that, uh, that Rails meetings, especially as they evolve, I guess, because that you start to go all over the world, um, are, are different from perhaps the, I don't know, the old conventional uh, Ruby on Rails uh, workshop? Well, what I, I value within the Ruby community and the Rails Girls uh, in Berlin is that there's really a focus on cooperation uh, so that the sharing of knowledge in general is valued pretty highly, uh, meaning there's no, you know, we're not trying to be better than the other person to, to outdo them somehow, but we're trying to share knowledge and make sure that everyone can actually, you know, get the info they need and be inspired uh, as well so 
that's that's something that I also like about it. Hmm. And and oh, I should have asked this from the beginning. The choice of, as far as you can tell, the choice of Ruby on Rails as the the primary tool. I mean, because you could teach lots of things in the context yeah. of you know a safe place, a comfortable place. Why why is Ruby on Rails um, a good choice for this? context well there's different organizations as well there's also the pie ladies uh in berlin for example but uh what i like about ruby on rails is it's something where you can create something that's visible within four hours so you can you, you can have an app within four hours meaning that you won't understand everything because there's a lot of magic in there happening and you will not understand everything of it in four hours but you will have something that you can show yourself and show to other people there's a, a real output there and uh, then that that's kind of the idea to to create a positive learning experience and then keep people interested in and make sure that they have the time and the space where they can continue learning that's why we're not only doing the beginners workshops but also hack days and we have learners groups and stuff like that so that after the first tutorial people can continue to dive more into the coding Hmm. Uh, you're, I, I've read through your Twitter. I've, I've read a little about you on the internet. Oh. <laughs> uh, yes, my German reading is, uh, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> I look forward to your English tweets. But uh, regardless, um, when it, you know, you observe what's going on in technology, especially a lot of the, I guess, the online interactions. Um, and you're definitely, a, you know, a critical eye, I think, out there. Um, when you watch what's been happening the last, say, few years, where has the most progress been made? Uh, if, if we take technology and we start to break it down into all different areas, I mean, have you seen projects that have, uh, like uh, Rails Girls, but, you know, where, have, where has progress been made? Mm, I think a general progress would be that the subject is coming up in mainstream media as well, that uh, it's been acknowledged in mainstream media that there are issues with gender and diversity in technology. I think that's a, a big, interesting, uh, big, mm. important step. Um, and there, yeah, I think that's the most important thing. And then, of course, it's become easier to find support once you're being attacked by, you know, the MRA or uh, other anti-feminist, anti-female groups. Uh, I think it's easier to, to get support by the community uh, that's trying to make the internet a safer space. Oh, and uh, another question related to the actual workshops. Um, it, you know, we live in an era where funding is hard to come by, uh, depending on what you're doing. How does Rails Girls keep itself uh, going, funded? And so you mentioned a lot of places where funding is more difficult, but they're in Berlin, for example. Uh, well, we do have sponsors, but since uh, what we do, we do in our free time and for no money, we, we're not actually dependent on money. We can have, as soon as someone gives us a space and co-op has been doing that for free for quite a while, uh, or if we talk to universities, as soon as we have a space, we can basically do a workshop because the coaches aren't paid, we aren't paid, uh, and if there's food, people could also bring it. So basically, we don't need sponsoring, but sometimes it's nice to, you know, have stickers and t-shirts or whatever uh, so sometimes we're approached approached by certain companies that offer 
uh, to help us with some of the gimmicks that we have. And and do you see this uh, now? I'm making you make big generalizations about the future, but <laughs> do programs like this become not only a new source of education? I think they're already that, but in the future, the sort of uh, an alternative to the university when when universities maybe don't provide us with everything that we or we'd like to see uh including types of classroom environments and and priorities is this the future of education <laughs> uh i i think it might be one uh perspective of it yes i think it might be one part of it because i we we do have pe- attendees who uh study computer science but who hate programming because of the way it is taught at universities and I myself can also say that for me uh, I really did not enjoy the programming part at university but uh, because of uh, the environment in the Rare Schools workshop and within the community I started to appreciate it again and to enjoy it again and I hope that it might also motivate people who don't want to go or who can't go to university you know to further educate themselves and maybe find a space where they feel comfortable learning. I don't know if you keep any statistics, but even just in terms of conversations, um, do you find that in terms of finding employment, because I know that's, of course, underlying here somewhere is just, you know, people trying to figure out how to make themselves something, uh, follow their dreams and so on, make a life. Um, Do do people who pass through uh, workshops and Rails Girls, do do you see them going on to interesting and good things? Yes, definitely. I can't give you the number on that because we haven't (laughs) quantified that. Uh, I can say that we've had more than 300 attendees within all of our workshops within the last two years. Um, but I have seen people change their career. Uh, and since we also have the Rare Girls Summer of Code, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, we've had people who, you know, went to a workshop, then continued on with a project group, went to the Rare Girls Summer of Code and are then started looking for internships, uh, started internships and now work as a developer. So yes, we we have uh, managed to help a couple of people with that. And I think that's really, really great. That's not the goal for everyone, but I think it's awesome to have that happen. Yeah. And and out of curiosity, uh, since I'm a, a man, I mean, there is involvement of males as well in all this. Yes, there is. Uh, generally, uh, we say we're open, like attendees can attend uh, no matter their gender. Uh, but if there's limited space, we prefer women or female identify people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, as a man, you can always apply. And if there's enough room, you are welcome to come. Uh, and then, of course, uh, some of our coaches are also men. So in the beginning, I think there was a quarter female coaches and about uh, three quarters male co- coaches. And by now, I think it's half-half. And that's also a great thing because uh, some of the people who attended our workshops now have out as coaches, which is mm. pretty cool as well. T- tell us about <clears throat> Summer of Code a little bit. Because Summer of Code is the the part that's mainly about open source. Right, and you're interested in open source, so I think I that might be interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, summer of code is the idea that we pay uh, teams, meaning two women, uh, who work together on an open source project for three months, so that you know they get the coding experience, they contribute to an open source project, uh, and they can do it uh, while 
knowing that they can pay their rent and food and things. And mm. uh, this year was the second time that Summer of Code happened. And it, this year, I'm not sure about the year before it was if it was already worldwide or just in Berlin. But this year we had teams from all over the world uh, who were uh, sponsored for three months. Wow. And yeah, so we had women from uh, the Summer of Code who contributed to open source projects and then went on working as a developer and such. It's a paid internship, which internships should be in general, I think. Uh, <laughs> that's a different discussion, though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a paid internship, and uh, it gives women who might not otherwise get an internship also the opportunity to continue learning. You know, here's a, a controversial question, perhaps, but do you find the open source community... I understand that in terms of software, they're into open, <laughs> but are they open when it comes to issues of uh, gender, even race? If we if we go further, are they open to these discussions? Is it is it something that's welcomed? Um, I'm a f I hate to generalize here, but in general, I would say no. Mm. Uh, I there was this discussion on Wikipedia. I think. A couple of months ago about how to uh, use gender sensitive language within Wikipedia in Germany and that was a horrible discussion it read, went really badly and that was one of the examples for open source community for me. What do you think the problem is? I mean it sounds like people just get very defensive and then they hear nothing well, or they only hear that they're under attack somehow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the thing with privilege. If you don't realize you have it, uh, you know, you're always going to defend it. That's how it works. I mean, I found, so I get to um, visit Wikimedia every now and then, uh, mm -hmm. updates and so on. And I didn't know, I didn't know about things like, for example, once it was brought to me, uh, it made sense. Uh, I mean, I understand why it happens. The idea that, first of all, most articles on Wikipedia, for example, are written by men. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. and, and then that Wikimedia itself, at least in the German context, is uh, looking at this and, for example, having these events. Uh, I haven't attended one, but I've heard where mm -hmm. um, women are invited and they're invited to come and write about um, history and subjects that are, uh, when possible, connected to women, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it interesting that there are these initiatives to try and not just let things happen as they happen, uh, but get active. That's definitely good. I, I love that it's happening. Of course, then you have the events, and then sometimes whatever you wrote might get revoked right after, mm. because that's how Wikipedia works. Uh, I also think there's a larger structure around it. I mean, who has the time to contribute to Wikipedia if, you know, you might be a woman with a family and you have to take care of relatives, children, whatever. There might not be the time to edit with Wikipedia. Um, I think there's a larger structure around it that also makes it difficult for certain people to contribute. Or if you have two jobs, you don't might not have the time to contribute. You know, yeah. you understand what I mean? I do. Yeah. Not just the the open source community itself, but it's our culture in general. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how often people stop to consider that. I mean, with exceptions, obviously, but men probably have the most free time uh, of both genders on this world. I mean. It, yeah, it's it's not very equal in terms of who has more free time, I think. Yes, I think you're right. Hmm. 
Um, so yeah, but I do find that fascinating when I get to go some of these programs and also just the fact that people are, they're thinking about this issue and they're not afraid to try something, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, you know, and of course, anytime you try something like this, you can be criticized from both sides. Even there may be people who, who want to see, uh, things change in regards to gender, but that they find these efforts to be not enough. Or, and, and I'm sure that happens with rail rails girls as well. There are people who, probably find some kind of criticism of that as well. Definitely. And I think uh, most of the criticism is, you know, it's good. It helps us evolve and helps us to think about things that we haven't thought about before. So I'm usually uh, open and happy about criticism uh, because that means that people who don't feel invited yet want to be invited and we need to make sure that they feel welcome as well. So in general, I, I like the criticism from People who say that we can do more. I'm not very happy with criticism from people who say, oh, wait, but an initiative just for women, isn't that sexist? Hmm. That's that's the criticism I try to avoid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In general, yeah. I, I think the hard part is that, uh, in and we're still evolving on the internet, uh, not just in, in offline life, um, a lot of criticism is not constructive. Definitely, yeah. That's something that should yeah i i think that's something we should all learn a bit more to to uh dare to give criticism but to make it criticism that can actually help change how people behave or what people do mm. not constructive yeah oh that's a very nice uh note to potentially end on um <laughs> let's see i'll make sure to put in the relevant uh links including um basically uh, rails girls berlin and uh-huh. uh, certainly something more on summer of code because i see it has its own uh certainly its own description i see it on github among other places yeah. um yeah, laura laugwitz thank you so much for taking the time and certainly we'll catch up with you again in berlin in the near future but thanks for taking the time today thank you <laughs> On to part two of today's program. Kathleen Danielson hasn't been in Berlin long, but she has been busy for some time with issues of gender, community, and more recently with mental health in the open source scene. Now to hear her take on where we are as a species in the tech world when it comes to gender, I sat down with her in what was sometimes a peaceful scene in a park in Berlin. Hi, everyone. We're here in a lovely square somewhere in Kreuzberg, uh, Berlin. I believe this is Marianas Platz. Marianenplatz. There you go. Yes. And the voice that you hear besides my own is that of Kathleen Danielson. Uh, hi, Kathleen. Good afternoon. Hello. So, Kathleen, uh, you are uh, not originally a Berliner. And I'm uh, curious, first of all, um, how did your relationship with this city begin? Because if you didn't know it, you're in some kind of relationship with this city. <laughs> uh, yes, it's yeah, it's definitely a city that um, is conducive to some kind of relationship, be it good or bad. I 
came to Berlin earlier this year uh, on a whim, um, on vacation. I had a friend who lived here, and I was going uh, to Europe for a couple weeks, so I decided that her couch was as good a place as any to spend a couple days. Uh, so I did that. I, I had known nothing about Berlin, really, before that, um, just that it was a city in Germany. Um, so I came, uh, went to, you know, her house, went to a couple house parties, did some tourist things, did, uh, some local things and, uh, really quickly realized it was a really, really interesting place. Um, I was at the time looking for a job and had no intention of finding a job in Europe. But after I left Berlin, I got in touch with someone, uh, in Germany and essentially a job fell into my lap. So two, three months later, I moved here. Hmm. We've heard, I think, in listening to conversations with people who moved their lives here, that despite whatever you read, and is officially statistics with unemployment, when it comes to the tech world, jobs are findable. And, and in your case, when you least expect it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky in that I had a I would not have moved here if I'd not already had a job lined up. Um, and so I actually have never had to really deal with the job search uh, aspect of Berlin. The tech industry in the city definitely is uh, large and flourishing. Um, so I would expect that for people in our field, it's a bit easier than uh, perhaps other other industries. Um, but... I but yeah, like I said, I'm I'm very fortunate in that I haven't actually even had to go through that job search process. Within the world of tech, what is your main interest, and and perhaps has been for some time? So I like maps. I love maps. Um, as a kid, I constantly was staring at maps. We had them on our kitchen table growing up, and I ended up sort of by chance studying them a little bit in college, I sort of ended up picking up a minor in geography just because I realized I had already taken a bunch of geography classes and I could. Um, I have, since graduating, leaving college, I didn't necessarily plan or intend to do anything with geo, but I, about a year later, discovered the whole world of geospatial technology um, and OpenStreetMap. Uh, which sort of combined my blooming interest in open source, open knowledge, and uh, my evergreen interest in maps. So I, back in Washington, D.C., where I spent the last eight years, I ended up starting a meetup group around uh, geospatial technology. Um, I also ended up getting involved in OpenStreetMap and spent the last year on the board of the OpenStreetMap U.S. Foundation. Hmm. Yeah, I want to hear more about that. Uh, for anyone who's perhaps new to the subject, how do you draw the, I don't know if it's a line that we have to draw between what you see and how you get Google Maps, for example, and OpenStreetMap? Uh, one of the ways that Open OSM is described frequently, which is fairly accurate, is it's like the Wikipedia of maps. Um, it is a uh, free crowdsourced map of the world. So it is, I don't know if I would say in competition with, but in it is serving a similar purpose to Google Maps in terms of it is a web map that is providing, you know, uh, 
a geographical representation of the world around you uh, in the same way that Google Maps is. Google Maps is uh, is an incredible data set and has some incredible software behind it. Um, one of the big catches, however, is that the data is proprietary. Uh, that is not the case with OpenStreetMap. So the some of the benefits are uh, you can make changes really quickly. The people, um, also the people who are making changes are often the people who live in that community, um, which isn't necessarily the case with Google. Um, another benefit is the uh, ability to provide humanitarian relief, uh, which is a, a really one of the most compelling use cases of OpenStreetMap. Um, when uh, natural disasters, humanitarian crises spring up, uh, they are not necessarily in places that already have great uh, geodata. They're not places that necessarily have excellent maps already. Um, and so first responders, uh, humanitarian workers, aid workers, need good maps to be able to get into these communities. And so groups like the humanitarian open street map team um, will mobilize to quickly do satellite imagery tracing of you know communities, villages, uh, remote remote towns that perhaps weren't previously mapped more than perhaps a, si a single crossroad, um, but in fact have several thousand people living there and need better maps to better serve their community. Hmm. Are there any recent examples uh, where OpenStreetMap... They um, are currently working uh, with the Ebola crisis um, in Western Africa. Um, they they have a they have um, some different mobilizations happening there that they're uh, helping out with. They worked with um, the typhoon in the Philippines last year. Uh, they'll kind of kind of mobilize their membership and then mobilize um, other people who are really just hobbyist mappers um, to contribute, uh, which led me to organize a crisis camp in Washington, D.C. last year. Crisis camp is a sort of, uh, is a very decentralized organization. Um, they've put some materials online for how do you run a crisis camp, because these aren't things that you can usually plan far ahead in advance. Um, so things like the earthquake in Haiti, I think, may have been one of the first crisis camps. Um, and they've since put a lot of resources online so that if something comes up, you can rapidly uh, pull together an event where attendees will work on some kind of open source uh, tool or open data set uh, that is beneficial to people who are uh, responding to the crisis. OpenStreetMap, among its differences with a, a proprietary map, is that it's much more uh, recent changing? Yeah, the one of the really uh, strong benefits is that uh, you know how fresh the data is, and you can make the data even more so. Um, so there are uh, data sets that can be imported in uh, through a import process, um, and so that sometimes is is a way that people are pulling information in, but also um, you get people on the ground. And that's really actually how it started. Um, initially, the idea really was that the whole world was going to be mapped kind of by hand, on foot. Um, that is no longer, I think, necessarily the the idea that that is going to happen. But um, but I think one of one of the goals behind it is that um, people who know the ground truth, who know um, who are in that community, that they're kind of the 
the most authoritative experts on what uh, what that map should look like, what should be on there. Um, so, for example, sometimes you're doing satellite tracing of um, of an area, and I can you know, you look at imagery, which isn't, which isn't complex. When I say that, I'm talking about things like, um, like Google satellite imagery, even though we can't use that, that's not open. Um, that's not open data, but that's kind of the most common example. If you look at that, you can see, oh, that, that's a building. I don't know what that building is, but clearly, you know, that, you know, square seems like a roof. And so I could trace that um, and say, okay, I put this building on the map. Then people on the ground can say, okay, that building, oh, well, I know what that is on that street. That's a, a pharmacy. Uh, that's a grocery store. That's a house. Um, so the people who are there in person can then be... Um, adding more data they can say that's you know the police department that's the fire department um which then really enriches the map and makes it useful for um the people who need it i understand now uh your how you got started when it comes to mapping and your interest in maps uh what about uh the world of free and open source software and i think that for me that was just getting to know as I started becoming more involved in tech, which is something that um, started uh, in college. I it was really I was sort of discovering these new burgeoning uh, social networks, and they had to me they were fascinating because they created different ways for people to interact with each other. Um, and these interactions on the internet weren't weren't kind of just weird one-off kind of creepy things. It was you know these these new ways that we could engage with, with our friends, make new friends. Um, and so through that, I got more involved in, um, in social media and, you know, did a couple internships, uh, moved, eventually kind of moved farther into, uh, the web development world, uh, by way of project management. Um, but all along the way, uh, I was learning about Kind of different technologies, uh, meeting people, making friends who are already deeply embedded in these different uh, communities who would introduce me to different ideas about open source, about uh, free culture, um, you know, talk about why that was important. And eventually it became something that was important to me as well. And so it wasn't necessarily just something, you know, a, a friend had told me about, but it it had it was a, a cause and an, and an issue that I took up in addition. Shifting gears into another issue that I've seen uh, following your conversations in social media, and uh, probably if I knew you longer than I, I, w- I would have, uh, I think it's an issue you, be, you you are active and observant and participant in. And I'm thinking here of um, when it comes to gender and technology. I think many people listening will be familiar with the the age-old, well, not age-old problem, but the problem of the last 20 or 30 years where the tech, the tech industry is known uh, as this boys club, um, where I don't know what you know the, the statistics are, but there are less women than men. But on top of that is the way uh, women are treated and so forth. Um, how to begin with that subject? I mean... Your personal experience? Um, my personal experiences, I think, have been have been good. I think, particularly after the past couple weeks, couple months of um, some really public, uh, really public situations of women in tech being treated horribly. When I compare my own experiences with those 
they're very they're very different and i feel very fortunate that um that i don't necessarily share those that i don't share those experiences of like the extreme harassment um i think so when i say that i'm i'm referring to things like the gamergate whatever of uh the way women in uh in gaming uh in particular are uh are portrayed are viewed and um then you also get things like uh kathy sierra who's uh who left basically left the tech community in 2007 um due to horrendous harassment came back this year and a couple weeks ago decided to leave again um seeing that you know is, is really uh is really disheartening and really uh frustrating i think one thing that i have I've become much more aware of in the past year or so as I've spent more time in kind of feminist discourse, learning more about um, really like feminist theory, uh, is that I, while I don't necessarily share these extreme examples, I think one thing that I can find is uh, is lots of examples of microaggressions, either that um, I have experienced or my friends have experienced, and they're things that aren't necessarily horrible examples in their own right. Um, they're not maliciously intended, um, but they are indicative of uh, systemic um, discounting of uh, of women, of women's contributions to tech, um, specifically, and. Um, and when you kind of put them all together, they do become really, uh, really draining. And this is, I think, where where a lot of this uh, problem of women in tech comes from. There's there are absolutely issues with the pipeline um, in terms of girls aren't being encouraged um, to to go into tech. They're not seeing the role models that um, they're not seeing it as as you know a career choice that they want. And a lot of energy is going into working on that. And I think that's really important. The other problem that is is much more difficult to deal with is uh, what do you do about women who are already in the industry and are leaving in droves? Mm -hmm. um, why are they leaving? And how do we make, how do we deal with that problem? Because otherwise the, the pipeline that we're working on improving, we're just sending them into the same environment. There are probably those voices out there who say, just give it time. Um, I think I probably would have in the past been one of those voices. I think I I am inherently opposed to conflict. I don't like kind of conflict, even when it's um, more subtle and you know conversational. And I think I and I also am certainly an optimist, and I and I want to um, you know I want to believe the uh, the best of people. I want to you know I want to assume good intent. Um, I think that I more and more I have seen that that's not enough. Um, intent doesn't matter. Um, you know, when you get someone says something really offensive and, and egregious, and they, you know, they say, "Well, that that wasn't what I I meant. I didn't I didn't intend it that way." That doesn't change that. You know, they said something really hurtful. So I think that it does need to be something that's intentional. Um, because what we're finding is that the more we ignore it, um, the the more 
the more awful it becomes. It's, this isn't a problem that I think we can see solving itself. Um, I think, in fact, like the less structure you have, and I think this is one of the issues with open source, is that when you look at statistics for uh, women in tech, the I don't have the numbers at the top of my head, um, you know, off the top of my head, but the ratios for women in, in tech are um, are tech in general are better than the ratios for women in open source. Um, you end up with numbers like uh, somewhere like three to seven percent of open people in open source are female. Um, whatever, and that, I think that is an older study, but whatever the numbers are, they're incredibly low. They're, you know, 10% maybe at the most. And one of the reasons that a lot of people point to for this is a lack of structure, um, because you kind of fall back on this idea of a meritocracy in tech, saying that, you know, the people who are most, uh, who are most skilled are, will naturally float to the top, and that's how it should be. The problem with this is that has this very fanciful and um, non-reality-based view of the world. Um, it says things like, um, you know, people who have the most free time uh, are going to obviously be able to contribute the most. Does that mean that their contribu contributions are better than someone who can only contribute, you know, two hours a week? Um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to be discussed there. The other thing that this idea of this structurelessness brings up is what you're saying is that you're eliminating power structures um, and that you're saying, you know, this, these management structures are, are bad and by, by eliminating those, we are, you know, letting people excel more. In reality, you can't have a group of people without a power structure. There is always a power structure. What you've done is you've replaced an explicit power structure of this person is the boss, these are the managers, this is, you know, this is the decision tree. What you've done is you've replaced it with an implicit power structure where whoever the boss is, whoever the managers are, that's not said out loud anymore. So you have to be sort of in the club already. You already have to know the rules of the game to be able to play it. And this makes it even more difficult for marginalized people who aren't um, part of that group that aren't that don't already know the rules to the game. Um, that it makes it harder for them to excel, to uh, find recourse when there's um, something difficult going on. Um, and I think that this is one of the reasons that uh, that open source is even less welcoming to marginalized groups than than simply tech at large. Are there any initiatives out there now, or that you've seen in your in your career, that um, you find to be good ones in terms of, especially when it comes to gender and, and encouraging women? Any that off the top of your head? So there's an organization called the Ada Initiative, uh, named for Ada Lovelace. Uh, they are a nonprofit focused on supporting women in open source uh, and open culture. They, uh, they, I think, are doing really, really good work. They've done a lot of work um, with imposter syndrome trainings. Um, so impost imposter syndrome is something that comes up for women in tech a lot. Not, not just women at all, but, um, but initially was the idea was floated for sort of women in high in in um, in management in high high profile positions, high uh, high skill positions, where 
you just feel like you're not good enough to be there and you feel like you're an imposter and soon somebody's going to figure it out that you're not good enough. You don't, um, you shouldn't be consulting on this. You shouldn't be explaining this idea. Um, it is not, it's not something that's inherently gendered, but it does dis, but it, it is something that's particularly common for women in tech. Um, and not having a vocabulary for it is a really big challenge. So once you kind of are able to put a name to it and say, I am qualified, you know, I got this job, I had this many years of experience and I, you know, I, so I, the way I feel that, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough to be, to be doing this. That's not necessarily valid. Um, that's, you know, that's imposter syndrome and having the vocabulary can be, can be really beneficial. Um, the so the ADA initiative is they do a lot of work with imposter syndrome trainings they do a lot of work with um, encouraging uh, conferences to have code of conduct anti-harassment policies um, they've done they've started in the past year doing um, ally skills workshops uh, to help men be um, better allies uh, to women in the workplace and in in uh, tech communities um, so that's that's certainly an initiative that I I have, um, that's an, an organization that I am, um, I'm really thankful for. I found, I found their work personally incredibly helpful, uh, for me over the past, over the past year, even with, um, with work I've done, uh, with OpenStreetMap US, uh, you know, we had a conference to plan and, and having those resources as we're, you know, making sure that we had a, uh, a solid, uh, code of conduct, um, that was incredibly useful. I didn't, I didn't have to start from scratch. Um, you know, I had, I had resources already available to me that I could use, um, I've found in, you know, in discussions, in, in heated debates on mailing lists, for example, their, their work, um, in kind of curating, in curating resources, incredibly, incredibly useful because what you find when you have these kind of discussions about gender in tech, in communities, um, they're not new. Most of the time, these aren't like, somebody isn't coming to you with this novel idea about, um, what how your argument is wrong how um you know we need to be um humanists not feminists and that you know by bringing up the issue of child care at a conference that you're being sexist because men and women can be parents um so these none of these arguments are necessarily novel and so having a place um and the place i'm referring to right now actually is a geek feminism wiki which uh, is is sort of a different is sort of different from the ADA initiative, although they contribute to it. Um, having a place with these, um, that has these concepts that you can go to, um, to sort of say, okay, how do I respond to this? Because each individual, I may not have, um, run into this before and I don't necessarily know the answer, but again, this isn't a novel idea. This isn't a novel argument and having, um, you know, having the, collected wisdom of, um, of feminists in tech is, um, is another massively, uh, helpful, beneficial initiative and resource. We've seen this in other forms in our society. I'm thinking here a little bit of the sixties and seventies and, 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 and I'm going to go to communes for a second, but it wouldn't have to be where it reaches a point where either a community figures out how to continue to exist 
and and address problems as they come or you get a community that, that fragments in all sorts of directions it seems like in the world of open source for example it, i'm only starting to get into it but it seems like that, that's happening too all the time yeah, I mean, so you get, um, there's kind of this greater umbrella of open source as a movement, um, and then you've got the different sort of sub-communities, um, OpenStreetMap, for example, falling somewhere closer to the Wikipedia end of the spectrum, but having, um, which, which makes it somewhat unique, but, um, but, but also having plenty of the same, um, general open source software uh, concerns. So you get different communities, and different communities have um, different... Diff every, every community really is a special snowflake, and I say that sort of jokingly, but it absolutely is true. Um, every community has its own circumstances, its own, um, its own personality, its own challenges, its own, uh, its own gifts, and... Um, so every community is dealing with this, with the issue, particularly of gender or, or more generally diversity um, in their community. They're dealing with it in, in somewhat different ways. Um, some are finding really innovative ways to, uh, to make progress. Others are really stuck in the mud. Um, so like the, the Python community, for example, uh, is absolutely a... A role model in terms of diversity uh, in tech. They've done a lot of really great work with um, Jessica McKellar uh, has kind of is, has sort of led the charge with along with along with her peers for things like the I think it's called the Boston Python Workshop, um, which has um, worked on creating uh, a curriculum for workshops that are. Uh, in inviting for for women and with the goal not necessarily of simply getting women involved in python but in but more specifically of increasing the diversity of local user groups um you've also got pycon uh the annual python conference um which has one of the best um gender ratios of attendees and speakers um and that that has a lot to do with uh speaker outreach um that they've done and um policies around um anti-harassment policies um i think they may I'm trying to remember if they provide child care i don't i don't know um uh, scholarships for uh for people to attend, uh, particularly uh, from marginalized groups. Um, so you have communities that do that really, really well. Um, and you have other communities that are sort of behind the curve. Um, and so in my experience, you know, I found for OpenStreetMap, um, which is my community, and, um, you know, I'm, I am very uh, attached to them, but I also find that they are in some respects behind the curve. Um, I for as much flack as I give them, I don't find them a, necess a necessarily overtly toxic community, but I think that it is a community that doesn't pay attention to um, diversity and why it's important. Um, and this is obviously a huge generalization. There are a lot of people within the community who do, and, and I've worked with a lot of them, and I'm, I'm really impressed with their work. Um, but what I found is that really the discussions we're having a lot of times are a couple years behind the curve, which can be really exhausting and really frustrating. But on the flip side, 
I literally have a script for how to respond when they're saying things like why, you know, why is it important for us to have a diverse uh, base of people mapping the world? Um, you know, like I said, these are these aren't new arguments. These aren't new conversations or discussions. I, there, there literally is a website where I can go for how do, how do I handle this argument and how do I talk about that? And so even though it's aggravating that, you know, I wish, I wish we were ahead of the curve. Um, you know, I'm grateful that people have taken the time to put together resources that, um, can really help me respond. What I've been watching in the, in the hacker community over the years, not just here in Europe and in North America as well, is there are a lot of people who are into something and man, are they into it, like working on it all the time and passionate about it. And then if you ask them questions related to or representation or, or gender, they aren't thinking about it and, and sort of take it, per, not personally, but resist and say, well, I'm just busy doing this thing. I don't know anything about how many we are, who we are, and so on. And I guess that's another one where there's an answer out there. But, but how, yeah, the hard part is reaching these individuals, because you don't want to scare them away necessarily uh there's probably a way to communicate but and sometimes they get it i guess the the conferences that you've named have found the way uh and sometimes what you get is what resistance and negative responses i mean yeah i think there's a couple causes for that um one is really is this idea of identity and there's there's a defensiveness i think when you when it's perceived that you're attacking um somebody's identity um which isn't necessarily what you're doing but it can feel that way because you're saying this you know this community this project there there are flaws there there you know there there are shortcomings and for someone who makes that their identity um what it can feel like is you're saying that you have flaws you have shortcomings that you this is something you're doing and so it can really put people on the defensive which um which is a challenge but i think it's important to kind of get people past that um i think another thing is um you know, people are, are comfortable. Change is uncomfortable. And, you know, nobody wants to say it in terms of, well, we don't want women here. We don't want, you know, we don't want marginalized groups here. And that's not necessarily the thought process, usually. Not not always. Um, sometimes it is, in fact, the thought process. Um, it's more that what we have going on right now, it's good and it works. And what you're talking about upsets the balance. You know, you're bring, you're talking about bringing people in who I don't know them. They're not, you know, they're not part of a group that I've known for years. Maybe they don't understand how we do things. And um, it creates again a lot of defensiveness. And um, and you kind of come up with these these ideas of like, well, you're talking about bringing in people who are less qualified or, or, you know, people who don't know what we're doing, which isn't really what we're talking about. It's more a matter of, we want this to be a community where everyone feels welcome. And that's not necessarily the case right now. And let's talk about why. Um, and that the, those conversations can end up being, they can be heated and they can be uncomfortable. Um, but more and more, I think we're seeing, you know, more people get it and you and you have those conversations and it's not necessarily just one person beating the drum for diversity. Um, you know, you more and more people kind of get why it's important. They get where, um, 
you know, they start to, more people can sort of see these unhealthy patterns um, and call them out, which is, um, which is good. Uh, finally today, I, I wonder, looking ahead, uh, you're here in Berlin, only a few months, but what kind of projects do you want to get involved in, be it here or anywhere in this world? But what What interests you? I think um, something that I'm I'm really interested in working on in the next, hopefully in the next couple months or so, is more with uh, mental health in tech. Um, I think mental health in general is uh, is something that that needs a lot of advocacy. It's um, there's a lot of stigma around mental health illnesses, and um, and it's it's just it's something that's kept very quiet. Um, people don't want to talk about it, which means that. Um, It's hard to find resources. Um, so something actually I'm, you know, I'm thinking of working, of working on even, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks is simply finding ways to crowdsource um, mental health resources. And then I think expanding on the work I've done, uh, talking about dealing with burnout um, for the individual um, to, to move on to how as communities do we address burnout? How do we make our communities places that um, are less conducive to burnout? Um, I think there's there are a lot there are a handful more there are more talks that I, I want to write there are more talks I want to give um, and so thinking about thinking through that um, finding the right venues um, finding the opportunity to um, to pull that information together those are that's something that you know I think I may want to focus on in the next couple months well I wish you all the best of luck uh, Kathleen Danielson thanks for taking the time to talk to us today thank you I say us as if I'm more than one person here. <laughs> oh, me and the audience. Yeah, yeah. And I hope you've enjoyed the sounds of nature, audience. A leaf even fell on the microphone at some point. <laughs> and there you have it. Gender is still a serious issue for many in the open source world. For some, like our guests, there is a clear path to improving things. For others, who you can usually find via social media, such activities are either unnecessary or simply unwelcome. Regardless, as both our guests pointed out today, there are those highly motivated and organized individuals in this world who are seizing the tools and possibilities that we have for education and collaboration to help make the change they'd like to see in this world. And that does it for this edition of Source Code Berlin. Thanks to all those who have emailed, commented via the website, Twitter, Facebook. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast. You can find us at sourcecode.berlin or follow us on Facebook, Source Code Berlin, or Twitter at SRC Code Berlin. Music featured on today's program was by the Rat City Brass. This podcast is published under a CCBYSI 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. We are, we are, we are.